Amen. Y'all are covered by his grace. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? At the cross, all your sins, past, present, and future, are covered by his grace. Amen. If you have your Bible, saints, open it to Genesis chapter 1. We are still in verses 26 through 31. Eventually, I'll hopefully get past those verses at some point. But we're still there again today as we continue our sermon series on the Imago Day. Here's God's words to his sons and daughters. I'm sorry, begin in verse 28. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. And the Lord said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the field, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the ground, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and the Lord saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Please pray with and for me. Father, as we, Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the word, I I continue to pray for your presence to to move, that you will move in our minds, that you will move in our hearts, that that you will give us understanding of the scriptures. Um, We don't understand the word because of our, just because of our intellect. You are the one that gives us understanding of the word. You are the one that that moves us to, to believe it and to submit to it. We don't do that; those things ourselves. You do it. You work it in us. So, Holy Spirit, as I, I pray at the beginning of the service, you are our helper. You are our counselor. You are our advocate. You are there for a reason. You live in us in supernatural ways. So help our spirit submit to you. Help our spirit be sensitive to your leading. And I pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Biblical scholar David Klein says, in Genesis 1, man is not a mere cipher chosen at random by God to be his representative, but to some extent also expresses as the image of God, the character of God. And he's correct. Humanity as the representational image of God reflect and express certain aspects of, of God's character certain aspects of his attributes. And these are known as God's communicable attributes, the ones that have some imperfect and finite resemblance in humanity. The reflection and expression of these attributes in humanity are a blessing of the Imago Dei, blessings of the the image of God. We talked about two of these attributes last week. Do y'all remember them? I guess not. One theologian calls them God's intellectual attributes and moral attributes. Another theologian calls them God's mental and and ethical attributes. And there's a third one. 
There's a third communicable attribute that's reflected in humanity. And both of these theologians, they call it God's volitional attributes. Volition means the power to use one's will, like doing something of your own free will, of your own choice. God's volitional attributes are his sovereign power and his sovereign will. His sovereign power, his sovereign will. Young people, do you know what it means for God to be sovereign? You can nod your head yes or no, young people. It means he's the boss. No amens for that, right? It means he's in charge. This is his world. Y'all just live in it. You see, everything and everyone in the universe is under his sovereign power and under his complete rule and authority. Every kingdom, every nation, every government is under the sovereign power and will of our God. All of them. His sovereignty, his sovereign power is omnipotent. That means it's unlimited, it's all-powerful, it's eternal, and it's infinite. Those are all amen statements, saints. Because it's who he is. Isaiah 40, 14, 24 says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. If you look up the Hebrew, it means the same thing. I'm going to have my way. That's what it means. I'm going to have my way. It goes according to my plan. Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And again, in Hebrew, it means all. Over all, over everything. What about his sovereign will? Well, it's infinite. It's eternal. It's an expression of his eternal counsel, purpose, choices, and providence. This God, his will is what he desires and what he wants. You see, God's decrees and his providence are the outworking of his sovereign will and power. Shorter Catechism 7 says, The decrees of God are his eternal purposes, according to the counsel of his own will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Notice that, for his own glory. Shorter Catechism, Shorter Catechism 11 says, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. Everyone and everything is under, falls under God's will and power. Revelation 22 says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and are created. Proverbs 21 says that the heart, the heart of the king is a stream of waters in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. But now there's a dilemma. Does God's sovereign power and will means he's the author of sin and evil? If he controls all things, then does the book stop with him? When it comes to the bad things that happen in the world. Is God responsible? Is it his fault? Can y'all lay the blame at his doorstep? No, no, no. He's not. 
You see, it's hard for our finite minds to fully grasp what appears to be a contradiction. God is fully sovereign, but yet he's not the author of sin. There's no contradiction here, saints. You got to trust scripture, and it's clear. God is not the author of sin and evil. First John 1 John 1.5 says, this is the message that we heard from the beginning and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Amen. James 1.3 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But do we believe that? The Belgian Confession was written in 1561, which is a long time ago. And it's one of the many Reformed Confessions of Faith. And these are great documents of that 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 are statements about what we believe as Christians, because as Christians, there's content to what we believe. Some things are true, some things isn't true. For example, Jesus was Jesus was born the Virgin Mary. Now, if that is not true, then we're in trouble. We got problems, serious problems. Listen to these words of Article 13 of this confession. It says, we believe the same God, after he created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that he rules and governs them according to his holy will so that nothing happens in the world without his appointment. Nevertheless, God is neither the author of nor can be charged with the sins which are committed. For his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he orders and executes his works in most excellent and just ways. Even then, when evil and wicked men act unjustly. Your God is fully sovereign in his will and power, but yet he's not the author of sin and evil. He's not responsible. So who's responsible? That's a great question. And the answer begins with the creation of our first parents, Adam and Eve. How did God create them? Does he create them to be lifeless and motionless mannequins that he just going to display throughout creation? Does he create them to be emotionless androids that are programmed to behave in a certain way? No. Adam and Eve are not puppets. And God is not a puppeteer. He's the creator who creates our parents whole and he gives both of them life. Genesis 1, 2, 7 says, God breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and Adam becomes a living being, a living creature. Adam and Eve become living creatures with a soul, with a conscience, with emotions and a will. And a will. Lord's Catechism Question 17 says, God made Adam and Eve after his own image and knowledge and and holiness, having the Lord God written on their hearts and the power to fulfill it. Dominion over the creatures, yet subject to fall. Your first parents are created with a will and with power to exercise that will. They're created with the ability to make choices and decisions. And the same is true for all image bearers. The same is true for all of y'all. None of you here are mannequins. Trust me. I see you moving around. None of you here are Kermit the Frog or the Cookie Monster, even though you may like cookies. None of you here are action figures with a Kung Fu grip. None of you girls are American Doll 
None of you are androids or robots. You are human beings created to be the representational image of God on earth. Each of you have the breath of life in you. Each of you have a spirit and a soul. Each of you have a mind. Each of you have a personality and a temperament. Each of you have emotions and you have feelings. Each of you have a conscience. Each of you have value, self-worth, and dignity. Each of you have a finite will and finite power to make the choices and decisions. Not because of evolution, but because of your creator God. He created you with a will and with power that has limitations. Both are imperfect reflections of God's volitional attributes, the blessings of the Imago Dei. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? TBC Saints, what does it mean for two objects to run parallel to each other? TBC Kids, What does it mean for two objects to run parallel to each other? It means two objects run side by side. You see, kiddos, there are two biblical truths that run parallel to each other in this world. Do y'all know the name of these truths? And here's a hint. I just finished talking about them. The truths are God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. God's sovereignty. God's sovereign will and power and man's responsible, limited will and power. Both of these are lines that run parallel to each other. And it's it's hard to comprehend this. No one knows the distance between the lines, but both are real. Both exist at the same time. Both are always at play in the game of life. The late theologian J.R. Packer writes, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are taught side by side in the same Bible. Sometimes, indeed, in the same text. Both are thus guaranteed to us by the same divine authority. Both, therefore, are true. It follows that they must be held together and not played against each other. Man is a responsible moral agent, though he is also divinely controlled. Man is divinely controlled, though he's also a responsible moral agent. God's sovereignty is a reality, and man's responsibility is a reality, too. All image bearers are responsible moral agents, regardless of race, gender, age, or nationality. They are responsible for how they use their power and will. They're responsible for the decisions that they make. That's true for Adam and Eve. That's true for all of us. Human responsibility is our will and power in action. And it's a reflection of God's volitional attributes, a blessing of the Imago Dei. TBC Saints, God's intent is for his image bearers to use their will and power responsibly. That's his intention for Adam and Eve. But what does it look like, Pastor? It looks like being responsible to fulfill the creation mandate. Are you all familiar with that phrase? The creation mandate is a divine injunction that God originally gives to Adam and Eve, but also now extends to all image bearers. And this mandate is a blessing. It's right here in Genesis 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That is the creation mandate. And there are three responsibilities in this mandate that God, that for all humanity, beginning with our first parents, and God's intent is for them to use their will and power responsibly in order to fulfill these responsibilities. And these responsibilities are actually blessings, not curses. First, there's the blessing of God's presence. Remember what I said in, in, in earlier sermons. God does not send Adam and Eve out of his presence after he created them. Amen. He doesn't send them into the Garden of Eden to, to live and function independent of him. Instead, the opposite is true. They are to use their limited will and power in ways that allows them to live and function under God as the creator. To live and function under his lordship. To live and function under his fatherhood. You have to have dominion over the creatures, but they don't have dominion over God. They have dominion over the other forms of creation as God has dominion over, over them. Can you tell me what stands out about God in Genesis 1 and 2? If you read those chapters, the way God is presented in those two chapters are different. Do you know what the difference is? Chapter 1 presents him as a transcendent, otherworldly God, an otherworldly creator, Elohim. Chapter 2 presents him as an eminent, personal God, Yahweh Elohim, or the Lord God. Eleven times in chapter 2, that phrase is used, Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim. What is special about that name? That's God's covenant-keeping name. Adam and Eve are in a covenantal relationship with the Lord God. They are experiencing what we would never experience on this side of heaven, God's relational presence without sin and brokenness. Can you fathom that? That's what they get to enjoy right here in Genesis 2. No sin, no brokenness. They're in perfect communion and fellowship and relationship with their God. No separation. There's no rebellion. There's no rejection. And there's no need for a mediator. At this point in creation. Our first parents are actually living out in perfection what the Shorter Catechism question once asked. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Right here in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve is doing just that. Now, but for us, well, we live east of Eden. There's no moving up for us. All image bearers in the world today is a little different for us. You see, the blessings and the responsibility of the creation mandate for us is beautifully broken. Living in God's presence would be beautifully broken. Broken, And we know why. Genesis 3. The fall happens. Sin enters into the world. This means image bearers are born into the world separated from God because of their sin and rebellion. They were born into this world dead in our trespasses and sins. Today, all image bearers need a mediator in order to enter God's presence without fear of judgment. Amen. Today, all image bearers need a substitute who will pay the price for their sins. Today, all image bearers need a redeemer who will reconcile them back to God. And that is Jesus Christ. 
And we'll get into later why that's the case. But for now, just know you need a redeemer. First John two, first John two verses one and two says, "We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the whole world." Notice what he says there. You know what an advocate does? You know what they do? They advocate for you on your behalf. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's advocating for enemies. Have you ever thought about that? Advocates usually advocate for an enemy. He advocated for you while you were a sinner lost in your sins. While you were separated from God. He didn't advocate for you when you got into the kingdom. He advocated for you so you can get in. All image bearers have to come to Jesus in saving faith in order to be made right with God. Saving faith in Jesus is the only way to have forgiveness and reconciliation. Acts 4.2 says, there is salvation in no one else. In the Greek, that means no one else. <laughs> For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. That is, that is either a true or that's a lie. It can't be both. If you are saved, then there's something you need to accept and to embrace today. Your walk and personal relationship with Jesus isn't ever going to be perfect. It would be beautifully broken. Your quiet times won't be perfect. It would be beautifully broken. Your prayer life won't be perfect. It would be beautifully broken. Your, the spiritual disciplines that, that you are, you try to live into won't be perfect. It would be beautifully broken. Your evangelism, beautifully broken. Your advocacy for others in, in the world and, and, and your fight for justice. All of that stuff will be beautifully broken. And guess what? That's okay. Stop beating yourself up. Stop comparing your walk to other Christians. Because here's the thing. You didn't bring yourself into God's presence, and you are not the one who keep yourself in God's presence. That is not your lane. That is J.C.'s lane. All you got to do is rest. All you got to do is rest. You're already there. Rest. Because of his life, death, and resurrection, image bearers can be in God's presence without fear of judgment, even when they struggle with sin. Because, because of Jesus, sinners become friends of God. Because of Jesus, orphans are adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. Because of Jesus, you will struggle with sin with a repentant heart. Because of Jesus, the Father's discipline in your life is grace, not punishment. Because of Jesus, you can glorify and enjoy God in ways that are beautifully broken. Because of Jesus, you can live in God's presence in ways that would be beautifully broken, but yet fully acceptable. Can you cling to that? Can you rest in that? Or are you still trying to earn what you already got? The second responsibility and blessing of the creation mandate is reproduction. That's human reproduction in the context of marriage. You see, male and females are created with reproductive systems that allows them to create new human life. They get to create new image bearers. 
Humans' reproductive systems are by divine design, not evolution. They're a blessing. Look at what God tells our first parents in Genesis 28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's a blessing. Malachi 2.5 says, did not God make Adam and Eve one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. God wants Adam and Eve to reproduce. Be fruitful in procreation. Multiply yourselves. Fill the earth with other image bearers. Give me some godly offspring, says the Lord. Psalm 27 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb of a reward. It's a blessing. Human reproduction is as God intended it to be for humanity at this point in Genesis 3. In Genesis 2. At this point, for Adam and Eve, there's no shame, there's no brokenness, there's no sin, there's no issues. Again, but for us, human reproduction will be beautifully broken because of Genesis 3, because of the fall, because of sin. This brokenness will not look the same for us all because all brokenness isn't equal. Pay attention here, saints. This means the reproduction system of some image bearers is it going to work like it's supposed to work? Some image bearers will struggle with infertility, the inability to conceive children. Some image bearers will suffer miscarriages. Some image bearers will conceive by abuse like rape. Some image bearers will have children outside of marriage. And some image bearers will even have an abortion. And for these image bearers, the pain will sometimes be unbearable. They will feel shame. They will feel guilt. They will have regrets. They will wonder, why is God punishing me? Why is God forsaking me? Depression may come. Hopelessness may arrive. Grief will settle in. And if you're one of those image bearers, then please receive these words. You are not your suffering. You are not your suffering. You are not your mistakes. Infertility and miscarriages are not your identity. Rape victim is not your name. And abortion is not your scarlet letter. Please know that you're still a whole person. You're just beautifully broken like the rest of us. And you have to come to Jesus in order to see the beauty in your brokenness. You can't see it without him. You can fake it, but you can't really see it. There's healing for your soul and there's forgiveness in Christ. All you got to do is come to him. Let Jesus minister to your broken places in your life. Allow him to show you the beauty, the beauty that can exist. Will you come? Will you come? And what I just said here is for some of you kids. Some of you kids, when you grow up, you may experience these things, but please know God is not punishing you. He's not punishing you. You're still a whole person. You're just beautifully broken. One Catholic priest said this, our life is full of brokenness. 
broken relationships, broken promises, broken expectations? How can we live with that brokenness without becoming bitter and resentful except by returning in and again to God's faithful presence in our lives? That's an amen statement, saints. The only way your brokenness won't drive you insane. So you got to come again and again and again to Jesus, again and again and again to Jesus. This is not you coming to him for salvation. It's you coming to him for hope. It's you coming to him for peace. It's you coming to him for rest. This is what, this is what this priest is saying. Coming again and again and again. Every day you may have to give it to him. Every day you may have to give him that thing, that suffering, that hardship. Every day you have to say, Jesus, take it. And that is okay if that's your prayer. It's okay. It's okay. Because Jesus has you. And we can rest in what he has done for us. We can rest in the fact that he is Emmanuel with us. In our brokenness, not brokenness in the past, not brokenness in the future, right now. Right now, he's with you. And if you can't see it, this is where you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see it. Because his presence in your life is not dependent upon your belief. If it was, then you're God and not him. You just can't see it. It is there. Trust the scriptures. It is there. It is there. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I am grateful and thankful for who you are and what you have done for us as Emmanuel. That you bring us into God's presence. You keep us in God's presence. You are with us even in our brokenness. You're with us. Help each of us to see the broken places of our life as beautiful through you. Help us to know that you're not forsaking us. You're not punishing us. Help us to know that you are with us to the end. You're not a part-time savior. You're full-time. You don't take a break. You don't go on sabbatical. You are always on. And I pray for all of this in your name. Amen. Please stand as we close our service, saints.